Welcome to Glam City. On Glam City, we speak to the hardworking people in Australia's galleries, libraries, archives and museums. I'm Chelsea Barnett, and today we're talking to Elena Guest, manager of the National Film and Sound Archive Restores Program. Thank you so much for coming in, Elena. It's so nice to have you here. Delightful to be here. Thank you. So I am an avid user of the NFSA because I work on pop culture and I work on film. So I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm really excited to talk to you about the work that you do in the Restores program. You are the manager of that program and it seeks to taking this off the website, <laughs> digitise, restore and preserve classic and cult Australian films so that they can be shown in modern digital cinemas. Is that that's the gist of what you Correct. the program is? 100%. Yeah, sure. When did the program start? It's been going for about five years. Right. And in that time we've restored, we just announced our 30th film. Oh, my word. Okay. Yeah. Um, and how did it start? I think, and I'm not sure very new to the job. I think it came about because most archives internationally have a restoration program. Um, The archive, National Film and Sound Archive, of course, as you just said, um, collect, preserve and share as well. Uh, And the program fits perfectly into that. Previously, there'd been a number of other programs, Kodak Atlab, um, Deluxe program where they'd done photochemical uh, restorations or reconstructions of films, but no digital outcomes Uh, from that. So this is specifically digital outcomes for digital cinemas. So as you'd know, a lot of cinemas now don't screen 35mm anymore at all. It's all off a DCP or digital cinema package. And, you know, we have to adjust to the the changes in the industry. That classic kind of image of of a cinema manager wrestling with big rolls of film just doesn't exist anymore. No, only in some cinemas. And we've seen a resurgence in the 70mm screenings. You've probably seen that with The Joker and previously with Dunkirk and films like that. Um, But But, majority DCP. Right, okay. And what do you hope, what what does the program hope to do, I suppose? What are the aims or the core, like the core objectives of the program? So we're preserving the film forever. We're also getting, apart from just the DCP outcomes, we're getting additional digital outcomes as well. So we've got a scan of the 35mm film or the 16mm film that's now in the collection as well, Okay, which can be accessed. As, and um, going forward, reintroducing those films to new audiences. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I do want to talk to you about audiences and, and new audiences to older films. Um, before I get there, I might yep. ask you about the process of restoration itself. What what happens? So we, we have a list of titles um, and it's a very long list. Um, you probably imagine that a lot of producers would like their films restored. We do this out of the budget that the NFSA has as well. The exception was Proof. Uh, yep. When Proof was restored, that was a, began as a crowdfunding campaign. Um, but we have a list of criteria that we look at in terms of cultural significance, the talent, um, relevance to today's audiences as well, uh, and also significantly is the state of deterioration of the film and whether it needs not rescuing, that's probably the wrong word, but if we but need to actually look at that work, and yeah. to bring it back into circulation and to provide it for future generations. So Sunday Too Far Away, for example, there was significant damage and deterioration to some of the um, frames in that. Uh, so obviously 
first film out of the South Australian Film Corporation. Amazing talent. Matt Carroll, producer, you know, Jack Thompson, lead guy. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Uh, it ticked all the boxes uh, and also it had that deterioration that was happening to it as well. So we find the components for the films once we've decided on the title. So we look for the original components that we have in the collection first off and see what we've got. Um, if it's a particularly significant film like Black Robe that we've just recently done as well, it's the first Canadian-Australian co-production under the treaty, um, we didn't have those components. They sat with the co-producer in Canada. Uh, right. So if we don't have the components, okay. we actually go searching for them. Uh, and then we bring them in, we scan them, so we have multiple scanners in-house in Canberra that do a range of qualities for a range of gauges, film gauges. Uh, we scan the vision, we digitise the audio, we make sure it all syncs up. And then we work with service providers, external service providers. Um, we have two in Sydney that we work with very closely um, and we give them the scans and we start grading and restoring the image. So they do cleaning process automatically we do a colour grading process. Sometimes we have to do a hand cleaning process, particularly if there's archival footage in there because the software may not recognise what's dirt and what's not. <laughs> right, okay. Um, and then we have uh, outputs. Uh, and Well, obviously the sound is done as well and we do that in-house in Canberra most of the time, our audio services guys. Sometimes we have to do that externally as well, depending on the priorities of the agency. And put it all together... Um, again, like I use the NFSA quite a lot and, you know, I go in and request my, my films or my footage and, and, you know, go off and watch. And it's remarkable to think about all the work that's gone on up to that point, you yeah. know, like it's it's not just housing or preserving a, 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 a film or footage, but um, making it viewable and making it accessible and, and protecting our audiovisual past and heritage that's quite amazing. I didn't know any of that. That's quite <laughs> revealing, actually. I, I think the other really important component in that that I didn't mention was that we work with the original creatives wherever we can. So, you know, for Eternity, the documentary um, about the fellow that used to ride Eternity on the footpaths in Sydney, mm -hmm. we had Dion Beebe uh, in town shooting a different film. So we were able to bring him, him in to the studio along with the producer and the director, Lawrence Johnston. Um, so we work with them. They, they do a creative briefing with the post-production house to start with. And then if they're available, they come in on their own time because it's their baby and they really value what the NFSA is doing in the program, which is really rewarding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and they, they brief us because we don't, we don't know how it was shot, you know, or what the – and sometimes the scans – you know, we've lost the colour or might be magenta print that we've scanned or whatever it is. So it's really important that we work with them to bring back as it was seen when it was originally released, the film. So we're not fixing anything. We're just restoring it. How long can it take? Like this, it doesn't seem like, you know, this is done in a day. No. If it's really straightforward and we've got all the components and they're really high quality, you know, close to the original and there's not much work that has to go in, probably as little as six months end to end from pulling it out from the archive because it's not just a matter of pulling it off the shelf either. Mm. comes out of the vaults and there's a process before it even gets to be scanned. You'd be aware of that. Indeed. <laughs> uh, so even that can take, you know, a couple of weeks by the time it's rewound and it's checked and it's, you know, brought up to room temperature out of the vaults and all of those considerations. And the sentimental bloke, which is coming up in February, 
I've probably preempted what you're going to ask no, no. me. We will talk about that. <laughs> uh, that's been on the cards for a couple of years, uh, and because we've had to source components from overseas, uh, you know, it, it can take a while, especially if you're putting things back together. What other films can I ask have been restored? Uh, so there's thirty. There's a range so of them. So exciting. <laughs> It really is. Uh, and, and also, to be clear, we don't always use a Sydney provider. So for some of the nitrate film that's been restored, which was before my time, gets sent over to the Netherlands, to Haga Film. Oh, wow. Um, because at the time we couldn't scan nitrate in-house. So it's gone internationally and been done over there and comes backwards and forwards uh, during the process. There's a range of documentaries as well. Marbo, Life of an Island Man's in there, Rocking the Foundations. Um, we've got some documentaries coming up mm-hmm. as well. Um, we've got Proof, the Snowy Baker film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, heaps. There's heaps. These are all available, News you front. know, t- yeah, <laughs> to look at. Um, you know, if you if you Google NFSA restores, the, the list of films does come up. Um, and it's very exciting. So there is a wide range or a huge kind of scope of film. And one of the things that's really exciting for me as a historian who's worked on early Australian cinema is that there are examples of early Australian cinema in this program. Not only The Sentimental Bloke, which we'll talk about um, in more detail, but that's a 1919 silent film. You've also got... Sons of Matthew, my mind oh, went yes. blank there. 1949, yep. Charles yep. Chevelle, the kind of epic Chevellian yep. film. Yep. One of the things that's really exciting to me when I was going through this, the, you know, going through the program online um, was that it seems like it's it's making accessible a whole host of Australian film that maybe a lot of people didn't know about. There's a lot of, there's a big popular belief in Australia that no, quote unquote, no films were made before Gough Whitlam came along in the 70s. And, <laughs> um, and and what was exciting to me was that actually this program is making all these kinds of films available, saying there's a there's a huge, rich history of filmmaking before Gough Whitlam comes along in the 1970s. So I'm wondering, what have audience reception, like what's the reception of the films been like? Look, it's quite interesting and very varied, right. to be honest. Um so you'd know that with a lot of the older film, there's there's a significant number of purists uh, who who have certain strong opinions about the films and how they should be presented and the context for them. Uh, we only look at films at the moment pre mid 1990s as well, just to to state that. Uh, Sons of Matthew is a really great example. So Rick Chevelle Carlson, it's part of the portfolio of of his heritage as well. Um, he's the grandson, I think, great-grandson of Charles Chevelle, and he likes to present the films and provide a context in the presentation. We screened that up at Home of the Arts uh, on the Gold Coast, so we've had a touring exhibition, a portrait exhibition that we've done in conjunction with the National Portrait Gallery of um, film stills and portraits. Oh, wow. Uh, And that's been touring for quite some time now, and it's screened up at Home of the... uh, Sorry, it was hung up at Home of the Arts on the Gold Coast, and part of the screening program that accompanied that included Sons of Matthew. 
And it's um, a great film. I really, I recommend people it's check really it terrific. out. It's really terrific, and a, it looks amazing. Really and I think that's the thing about these restorations. I continually get blown away by how great they look on the big screen. Uh, anyway, Rick went along um, and did a Q and A up there with um, Gail Lake, the chief curator from the National Film and Sound Archive. It was a sellout. They had over two hundred people that turned up. It was shot in that region, and there were descendants mm-hmm. of you know local people who were in that film. Um, but afterwards, the Q&A, I think there was 90 to 100 people that stayed for the Q&A afterwards. That's pretty incredible. You sometimes don't even get that retention at the major film festivals yeah, for yeah. Q&As. Uh, so really well received, lots of positive feedback. We screened Sunday Too Far Away down at Parliament House uh, last week for a parliamentary screening. Uh, Matt Carroll came along and did uh, an introduction to that. And the stories you know, of these pioneer filmmakers... Uh, and and people who are actually connected to the film and those people telling those stories, it's it's quite amazing, um, and audiences find it really rewarding. Uh, sometimes people can't see the relevance of some of these films to their day to day lives now, mm-hmm. so sometimes it's quite hard to get an audience in. Uh, but we work with all our screening partners, so we screen at most of the major film festivals in Australia. Yeah, um, and we have other screening partners like Acme. Um, and uh, and and smaller spaces as well that we work with, and they work really hard as well to get audiences f- in. I'm trying to remember. Um, uh, one of the films had its you know res- res- you know restoration premiere at the Melbourne International Film Festival. Yeah, um, we have a f- we try to to do premieres with the film festivals. Um, so the la- Black Rope was the last one right. that we did down at Melbourne, and Bruce Beresford and Sue Millican and Peter James, the DOP, who'd all been involved in the restoration. Peter James gave days of his time up for it, which was just amazing. Uh, so yeah, that premiered at, at the Melbourne Film Festival. Speaking of premieres, we will mm. uh, let's talk about the sentimental bloke because this is quite exciting. I when I was reading about this was just going, are you serious? Are you serious? So, the sentimental bloke is a 1919 silent film that has been restored and is going to be premiered in the open air Sydney open air cinemas in February. But what is remarkable, um, you know, on top of that already incredible work, so Paul Mack you know, Aria award-winning musician, has not only composed a score, a new score for the film, but is going to be performing it live at the premiere alongside the, you know, at the same time that the film is being premiered. How did that come about? <laughs> That's incredible. It is incredible. I'm still coming to terms with that a little bit. I was reading this going, so work, like, check the box. You. This is a win. It is. It's amazing. Uh, it's so... Obviously, we were restoring the film. Uh, We always have to have a screening strategy for the film. There's no point restoring it if no one's going to ever see it and it just gets locked up in a vault somewhere. Uh, So the chief curator, who I mentioned earlier, had vision. (laughs) Uh, The film is actually, there's a lot of uh, footage in there that's been shot around the Botanic Gardens in Sydney, illegally at the time, I might add, without permits, around Woolloomooloo, um, Sydney-based producer and director, Longford-Lyle combination, you know, power couple from the early 1900s in the film industry. Uh, And and Gail kind of said, you know, we we need a big, splashy... We want to bring the film home, basically, to yeah. where it was, was shot and made. So Westpac Open Air, we sort of looked at that and thought, oh, that'd be amazing if we could do it at Mrs Macquarie's chair. 
And so we pitched. Uh, they came on board straight away. They were they were really excited to be part of it. It's not what they normally do. Mm. Um, it's really different to what it they do. It is really different, which is so exciting that they were on board with it. Yeah, no, amazing. Um, and we were so happy that they could see uh, that we were something that they wanted wanted to um, present mm-hmm. and work with, um, as well as being a bit daunting because it's a very big screen. It's one of the biggest screens around. So, yeah, yeah. Um, pretty impressive. So, so then we were thinking something different for the score as well. Um, and Gail, again, thought something more with a contemporary composer uh, would be kind of quite unique. We wanted it to be really special it was aiming for the 100th anniversary, mm-hmm. which was last October for the first screening. So right. we've missed that by a few months. That's all right. But still pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, so we had a long list of composers. And we had a set of criteria that we were looking at. Um, and Paul is amazing. And he saw the film. We had a meeting with him and sent him the the last version, which was done in 2004, mm-hmm. and he fell in love with it and said, yes, I'd love to work on it. And he's been amazing. He's got a very strong connection with the film. And so far, we've only heard excerpts of his work. We haven't right. heard the entire score just yet. It's going to happen soon. Um, but he's just added a whole new dimension to the film. And we, this, the few t- things that we've heard, we've had a really emotional response to it's um it's it's going to be amazing. Do you think that um that that emotion will 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 let me rephrase. Do you think that audiences will will have a similarly emotional response? Look, oh we would like to think so. Mm. Yeah, I think um what's he's scoring a film basically. It's not just accompaniment to the film. It's it's actually very different to the, to that. He will have live musicians with him and he's also investigating, I think I can say he's investigating using a narrator to be the voice of the bloke. Um, That may upset a few people, I don't know, because... (laughs) And I think for me, having heard some of those recordings that he's done of the intertitles being spoken, it's... It's just made the film completely different because when you read the intertitles, you're reading it in your head so, and you're associating it with how you interpret the vision. And I'm not sure if you, you probably know this animal bloke. He's, he's a bit bolshy in bits, you know. He likes a bit of biffo. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a rom-com, so it's, it, it, while it's a worthy piece of film, it's also not meant to be seen as we're creating something. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's entertainment Yeah, it is. And, uh, and and what Paul's doing with the script just adds to that a hundredfold. So it's going to be a fantastic I just night. think that's remarkable. Yeah. I'm really excited by that. Um, and to have somebody of Paul's calibre come on board and embrace it in such a way is, is a remarkable achievement and also really nice validation of the work that you guys are doing. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Look, we've just, we've just signed off on the final file as well. So it's got the tints and tones in there. You know, it's it's looking amazing. There's two different components being used. Um, so we've got the component, the Australian component, and the US component that we've worked with George Eastman Museum to get a scan of their pristine fine grain print out here. Uh, and the US version of the film was completely different mm. to the Australian version. All the intertitles were changed because nobody understood the language. It's in Strine, you know, which which is a spoken – it's a phonetic translation yeah, in the yeah. intertitles of the spoken word. Um, so they changed it all. They mixed up scenes. So even 
even just decoding their version to rebuild the version that will be seen in February has been a trial as well. And you can see the differences, you know, you can see when we've cut it together, you can see that their version is amazingly detailed and our version not quite so much because it's been so used. You're listening to Glam City on 2SER 107.3. To download this show, head to 2SER.com or your favourite podcast app and look for Glam City. This show is made by the Australian Centre for Public History at UTS with support from 2SER. In this episode, we're talking to Elena Guest, Program Manager for the NFSA Restores Program. So, Elena, you you mentioned before that Proof, which is a 1991 film, was restored with the help of crowdfunding, um, public donations. Uh, But otherwise, every other restoration, if I'm correct, has been budgeted for. Yes. How You've also talked about the criteria. Um, How does that criteria work? What choices do you have to make to decide ultimately which films get restored, make their way into the program? I think apart from that general criteria that I mentioned at the start, we also have a committee that we work with. And at the moment, Katrina Sedgwick from ACME and Margaret Pomerantz um, and uh, Andrew Pike. Oh, uh, yeah. Historian and distributor uh, are on that committee. So we also seek their advice, um, but we usually present them with a short list. Internally, we have a very robust discussion <laughs> oh, <I can> imagine. <laughs> about um, which titles we should put forward. I'm already thinking, oh, I wonder if this one's coming up and this one's coming. Like, there, there are so many that you could choose from. And my perspective is we should have a well-rounded portfolio of films that are representative not only of the time but also of Australia now in yeah. a way. Yeah. So, you know, for example, there's not much content uh, with an Asian focus. Um, there's a lot of white men making films <laughs> back then. So uh, Indigenous content versus Indigenous filmmakers, you know, pre-1990s, not so many Indigenous filmmakers, but mm. quite a bit of um, uh, Indigenous content. Yeah, sure. So, uh, and things like Rocking the Foundations about, you know, the CFMEU and things like that. It, these are really important things in our history, but we can't be doing all of them all the time. Choices so, have to be made. Yeah, yeah sure. So we look, we look at a portfolio approach as well. How does this um, how does this program work in the context of the NFSA as a whole? Uh, is it is it a key component of how the NFSA understand itself understands itself as a public institution? Uh, I'd like to think of it as a flagship program. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think uh, it fits perfectly in the collect, preserve, restore. It fits perfectly with the digitising the collection. Uh, that's the priority at the moment. I think we're presenting ourselves as an organisation of excellence because our restorations are fantastic. They're world class. Um, there's budget parameters and time constraints and things like that around what we do. And of course, there are other institutions internationally that have more money or, you know, bigger facilities or whatever it is um, that that do it differently. There's also institutions that that do it to a lower quality than what we do. Mm -hmm. We stick to international archival standards with Mm -hmm. what we do. Um, So, you know, we're scanning at 4K, we're we're outputting at 2K. We we do have, you know, ProRes and QuickTimes, but they're not our preservation copies. So it's it's a fundamental program, I think, 
um, as an internationally facing archive as well as domestically, it's pretty important program for the Australian people, I think, and the industry. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think um, what's remarkable about it is, again, the accessibility, making films that people might not have known about or might have heard about but maybe not have had the chance to to see, uh, to access, making those things available is is so exciting and so important, you know, preserving and embracing and broadcasting Australia's audiovisual cinematic history mm. um, is remarkably important. I think it's it's a wonderful program. About budgets, uh, I might first ask, um, again, Proof was crowdsourced, crowdfunded. Yep. Is there a potential for another crowdfunded project in the future? Oh, look, we'd like to do one. Yeah. Um, it's actually quite a lot of work to do a crowdfunding uh, I'm sure. Um, I think at the moment our budgets come from the agency's budget. So the budget for the program is part of the overall agency budget. Um, that has reduced since, I think, uh, the heyday of the program, as have all the budgets. You know, our, our agency budget's been static for a very long time right. and of course we've had the same efficiencies as all the other cultural organisations um, but I think we probably need to look at other forms of fundraising as well uh, but that's a longer term strategy. There is a donate now button I think on there the website so is. if anybody listening is getting super excited about this program I implore you check out the website and, and click on the click on the button and, and give whatever you can. Um, also I think I should mention there's also a commercial somewhat smaller commercial outcome for the producers from this in terms of distribution as well. So we do actually provide the producers and if they've got a domestic distributor the files um, that we produce. Uh, so we have seen Madman recently reissue the um, My Brilliant Career 40th Anniversary DVD. So that that comes from our files. So you'll see our little you know, Cookborough yep. logo on the front of that. Yep. So you know, we're not we're not just doing this as a altruistic. Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's also something in it. There's a commercial reality yes, to that as that's well. Right. So we're now coming to the part of the show where we talk about things that we're excited about. What's happening in this wonderful city and and region of ours in the glam sector? Elena, is there anything that you're particularly excited about heading along to? Well, I'd just like to say that the National Film and Sound Archive have a range of things that are going nice on plug. all the time. Uh, so we actually have a cinema on site in Canberra, in our building in Acton, and that has a public program of screenings. NFSA Restores Films are part of that. Uh, we also have exhibitions now that happen down there. So we've got a big Game Masters exhibition that has originated from Acme uh, that's on display and we'll be seeing more. We've had the Heath Ledger one down there and the Dressmaker. So we'll be seeing more and more of that happening going forward. And the only other thing I'd like to sort of talk about is our website. So as well as, I know you, you're really familiar with it, as well as the search the collection to find things, 
there's a whole heap of online exhibitions, there's blogs, there's all sorts of things there that if you go and have a dig around, you might find some real gems. We've had some big success with the uh, Skippy <laughs> internationally, mm-hmm. uh, the Skippy exhibition mm-hmm. um, and, and a couple of other ones, online exhibitions that have been really well received. I can um, say many a work hour has been lost on my end, <laughs> the time I've spent on the NFSA website. So maybe clear an afternoon and, and give yourself the time. Um, but it is a remarkable collection of, yes. of online material that is accessible from around, you know, wherever you are, if you have a computer. And, and we've talked mainly about film in this segment, but of course there's sound. You know, we have a vinyl lounge that happens down in, in Canberra where people bring in their records and, you know, we have people from, from the music industry come in and talk about those records. Uh, and, of course, television and radio is also... We've got three million items in the collection. We've oh hit the word. three million mark now. That's remarkable. So. Um, so definitely check out the work that the NFSA is doing, both you know, in, in, in the physical space, <laughs> uh, but also online. It's it's a remarkable institution doing remarkable work. For my part, um, I'm really excited about something that is happening in Penrith at the Penrith Regional Gallery. Uh, they have an exhibition that's showing until the 22nd of March 2020, so lots of time to head out west. Uh, it's called The Hat Project, and it showcases individually designed hats that have been designed and been made to reflect the histories and personalities and experiences of Aboriginal artists and elders, particularly um, Aboriginal women. So using the hat um, uh, in particular because the hat uh, has been a symbol in the past of refinery and being well-dressed uh, and, and I suppose class and, and ideas about, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and so the exhibition is exploring what that means for Aboriginal people in a context of colonialism and missionaries and faith and domestic servitude. Um, so that'll be showing at, at Penrith Regional Gallery until March. So I'll be I'll be uh, going along to Penrith in the next uh, little while to, to check that out. That brings us to the close of Glam City for today. If you'd like to hear more from us, head along to the 2SER website, 2SER.com. You can also search for us on your favourite podcast app. This podcast is made by the Australian Centre for Public History with the support of 2SER 107.3. And if you want to get in touch, you can email us at glamcity at 2SER.com. Huge sincere thanks to Elena Guest for being our guest today. Uh, And thanks so much. 2SER stands on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging.